You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. And as you're there, Romans chapter 12, why don't we go ahead and stand and we'll read these verses together. It says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Lord God, as we do meditate upon the mercies of God, as we reflect on all that we've learned in the book of Romans so far, that we've been justified just as if we've never sinned uh, by your grace and through faith in your gracious provision through your son, Jesus Lord, as we've studied the sanctification process in a believer's life, that they are continually set apart from the lustful passions and pleasures of this world, not by their own effort, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we've seen your mercy and your salvation call to the Gentiles and the Jews alike, Lord, having just a full grasp now of your mercy, of your grace, of your unearned favor upon our life, Lord, we move into these practical chapters and we move into this very practical text of chapter eight, verse three. Lord, that we would be the body. Lord, by the mercies of God, we would be the body. We would use the gifts. And Lord, in all of that, that we would put you on full display. I pray that as a gift is used today of of preaching, of teaching, of exhorting, Lord, that man would not look at me, but that they would see you and hear you. Lord, that you would be on full display as definitely the true and better teacher. So Lord, spur us on to great love and to great good works, motivated by your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, be seated. Well, that prayer of my heart right now, it was uh, kind of the introduction. (laughs) I uh, didn't mean for it to be, but just uh, praying out to the Lord over our study this morning. That was, that was our introduction. As you look there in, in uh, chapter uh, 12, verse 1, that it's by the mercies of God that we present our bodies, our bodies physically, to God as living sacrifices. As we are not uh, conformed to this world and its systems, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's all because of the mercies of God. Because he's given us so much love and so much grace and so much forgiveness and so much power to live for him now. 
that, you know what, we can and we want to. But it's not at all because of us. It's all because of him. Uh, as we've studied this text, we've referenced the Phillips translation, uh, a paraphrase by a 1940s Greek scholar in England. And uh, he wrote this uh, paraphrase with the intent of ministering to teenagers. And so perhaps you didn't fully grasp what we just read as we were standing. Well, I want to give it to you in, in Phillips' paraphrase. And, uh, and I'll, be, I'll be quick with it, but uh, it is helpful as it says this. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, act in intelligent worship, giving him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. But let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves, excuse me, and moves toward the goal of true maturity. As your spiritual teacher, I give you this piece of advice to each one of you. Don't cherish, cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance, but try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities by the light of the faith that God has given to you all. For just as you have many members in one physical body and those members differ in their functions, so we, though many in number, compose one body in Christ and are all members of one another. Through the grace of God, we have different gifts. If our gift is preaching, let us preach to the limit of our vision. If it is serving others, let us concentrate on our service. If it is teaching, let us give all we have to our teaching. And if our gift be the stimulating of the faith of others, let us set ourselves to it. Let the man who's called to give, give freely. Let the man who wields authority think of his responsibility. And let the man who feels sympathy for his fellows act cheerfully. Well, as we get to chapter 12, we do come from theology and doctrine, chapters 1 through 11, to the practical outlivings of that theology and doctrine. They're not separate from each other. They are joined together. Um, but now we've come to the imperative of the text. Having known the mercies and grace of God, as Philip says, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God, uh, we now, it's imperative that we act upon it and that we live according to it. And so we come to the first chapter of the next, uh, through chapter 16, uh, we come to the first chapter of this imperative, of this outliving uh, from the mercies of God. And some people have divided chapter 12 into three sections, and, and if you have a pen with you, you might just kind of mark in the margin of your Bibles. These three sections have been dubbed upreach, inreach, and outreach. Did you get that? Upreach, speaking of our worship to the Lord in verses 1 and 2. We've studied that the last two weeks. Inreach, speaking to our ministering to the body of Christ, to the church, to the people within the church. Inreach. We see that in verses 3 through uh, 14, or 13, excuse me. Uh, and then outreach, ministering to the world, being evangelistic. Uh, being part of the mission of God, verses 14 through 21. So upreach, inreach, and outreach. 
Uh, a couple years ago, we went on a men's retreat with a few other Calvary chapels in the area uh, where I heard uh, where the study was on Romans 12, and I heard for the first time these three categories broken down a little different uh, to be worship, witness, and witness. Did you catch that? Worship to the Lord, offering our bodies as living sacrifices, verse 1. That's our reasonable service. Worshiping the Lord, verses 1 and 2. Withness, verses 3 through 13, where we're ministering to the church with each other, being part of the family of God. Withness. And finally, witness to the world. So hopefully you got that. And uh, today, we find ourselves in this second section of the chapter. We find ourselves uh, looking at the withness of chapter 12, the inreach to the body through spiritual gifts. Let's look at verse 3, shall we? For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now he moves from verses two, uh, 1 and 2 into verse 3 to remind humility uh, to the hearers. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, I thank the Lord that he's enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Paul was very aware of, of the grace that had been given to him, that God by grace had counted him faithful for this withness ministry, for this inreach ministry. In Ephesians 3, 7, he wrote, uh, that he had become a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. He says, given to me by the effective working of his power. And so he's just aware that, that this section in Romans that he's going to write regarding the inreach to the church and service, and, and as well as the outreach aspect of it, ministry as a whole, that had been given to him by grace. Grace had been... Um, Gracious gifts had been given to him in this area. And he speaks to everyone among the Romans and, and to us as well today. Uh, and so if you think you're going to get out of being uh, uh, preached to today, uh, you can just thank Paul that he said, hey, if you're listening and you're to everyone who's among you, he's talking to you today. You know, whether you're a, a government worker, whether you're the governor, whether you're a physician or a road worker or a librarian a social worker or a gas station attendant, Paul's writing to you today uh, towards this humility that we see here in verse 3. Alistair Begg said, No one is immune from the problem of self-exaggeration. From our, from our conception, we are embryonic, obnoxious little creatures. Those with significant gifts are in the greatest danger. Okay, so from your conception, from your birth, you are prone through sin to self-exaggerate, to think of yourselves more highly than you ought. And Paul says, don't do that. There's two exhortations that Paul gives us just in verse 3. The first one's a negative one where he says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Or to quote Philip again, uh, Philip's translation, don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance. Does that speak to anybody here? You know, maybe the Holy Spirit's just saying, hey, you've been getting a little haughty. You've had a bit of a prideful look. You've been thinking that you are oh so necessary to the grand scheme of God. And you'll be reminded that, you know, 
Moses wasn't even completely necessary to the grand scheme of God. You know, he led the people by the grace of God through the wilderness, but at the end, he wasn't needed. He wasn't needed. God can work without us. He graciously works with us, but we're not a necessary part of the equation. And so don't think that you, that you are it, that you're the bee's knees or the cat's meow. Proverbs 26 warns us in verse 12, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? Some of you might be thinking, I see a few of them around here. My husband, perhaps. Uh, there is more hope for a fool than for him. Good exhortation to humility for us today. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And if any one of you has a bent towards sinning and this self-exaggerating of yourself that you are, you are it, you are the end all, you are so necessary, then you need to remember that anything that you have that's of any benefit, even for the kingdom of God, it's been given to you as a gift, a gift of grace. So don't boast and don't take pride as if you earned it or you worked really hard for it, you labored for it. No, you can boast in, in the Lord. You can boast in his grace and in his gift. He must increase. We must decrease. So the negative exhortation, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. And then this positive exhortation, but think soberly. But think soberly. Now, this is not necessarily speaking of not being intoxicated whenever you're thinking but what it refers to is having a grave, earnest, thoughtful character or demeanor. It speaks of having a sound mind or literally sanity. But to think with sanity. Now, isn't that interesting that that's the contrast there? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think sanely. But think soberly. Was that two things that you'd... Picture as the contrast to one another, humility, you know, being considered sanity. Uh, well, listen to what John Chrysostom says. He was a third uh, century preacher, nicknamed Chrysostom, meaning golden-tongued. And you're going to hear that a lot because I've been reading him a lot lately. Been blessed by him. But he says this concerning this sound mind. He says, here Paul is bringing before us the mother of good deeds, which is lowliness of mind. And the Greek name of it means keeping the mind safe. I like that. That in having a sober mind, you're actually keeping your mind safe. He goes on to say, to show then that he who is not thus modest cannot be sober either. That is, cannot be staid and healthful minded because such a one is bewildered and out of his wits and is more crazed than any madman, Paul calls for lowliness of mind, for soberness of mind. And so what a word for us today, just in this, this verse 3, this plea for humility from Paul, in reflection of the mercies of God, that we would be lowly-minded, that we would be humble that we wouldn't be insane by thinking we are something that we are not. 
that we wouldn't be prideful over ourselves, wise in our own eyes, but we would moment by moment appeal to the Lord's wisdom, to the Lord's strength, to the Lord's height. And in the context that we move into concerning spiritual gifts being used within the body and each one of you using your gifts, verse 3 is a preface to that, encouraging you towards humility and sanity in the use of your gifts. It's been said in simplicity, a gift is a gift. It's as simple as that. Don't think a gift is anything above that or more than that. A gift is is a gift. Don't have exaggerated opinions of its or your own importance in using it. Now, I think Paul had a problem with this in exaggerating his importance. And physically, he came from a good stock, from a good line, from a line of ministering in the temple of the Lord, from being a Sadducee. That was all apart from Christ. So how tempting to have those physical strengths creep into your ministry life to think that you are something that you weren't apart from the grace of God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he says, Hey, lest I be exalted above measure, or you could perhaps paraphrase this, to keep me from getting a fat head, by the abundance of all these revelations I've been having, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Man, God in his mercy gave Paul something. We don't know what, whether it was a physical uh, you know, ailment, which he did have, whether it was some battle against sin. Uh, God gave him something that would keep him humble as the apostle Paul, lest he'd be exalted above measure. Alistair Begg says, a desire for preeminence or to be first is the death nail of spiritual usefulness. And that goes for pastors, that goes for worship leaders, that goes for, uh, you know, servants in a children's ministry context. If we have a desire to exalt ourselves or to be big for our own kingdom, that is the death nail in our coffin of ministry usefulness. God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. Now, that speaks of grace, God's gracious provision of faith. Not one of us worked on it uh, in our own strength. And as we come to verse 3, the logical thing is to recognize it comes after verses 1 and 2. A life that's all in, that's a living sacrifice, will be marked by verse 3, by humility. If you're all in, if your body's been given up as a living sacrifice, if your mind is not being conformed to the world, but transformed by the word of God, something that will mark your life as a living sacrifice will be this humility. David Wells wrote a book called Losing Our Virtue, and he wrote this great definition of, or really more of a description of humility. He says that humility has nothing to do with depreciating ourselves and our gifts in ways we know to be untrue. Even humble attitudes can be masks for pride. Humility is that freedom of, from yourself which enables us to be in positions in which we have neither recognition nor importance, power nor validity, and even experience deprivation, and yet have joy and delight. 
It is the freedom of knowing that we are not at the center of the universe, not even in the center of our own private universe. Sometimes people say that they're humble because they're constantly whining about themselves. We're constantly saying about how, oh, I'm nothing, or I don't have any gifts, or this and that. I'm just so humble. That I, and it's, you know, they're prideful in their self-examination of themselves. They're prideful in being consumed with themselves. And they are still part of their own private universe, even though they are depreciating themselves through constant complaining. Maybe that's you. <laughs> As we come to verse 4, he says, In light of all this, we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Now, we're going to come into an illustration here that's used to teach us something. And it's the illustration of a human body. If you've read the New Testament, you know that this isn't the first time that Paul's used it or the last time that Paul will use it. He'll use it in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Colossians chapter 3. And we will uh, reference some of those today. But what's interesting in in the description of the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of that body, some part, maybe you're an ear, or maybe you're the nose of the body of Christ, maybe you're the, vo- you know, the mouth, perhaps you're a finger or a hand, maybe you're a cuticle, you know, uh, maybe you're the hanging ball at the back of the throat, you know, uh, each one of us is a part of the body, a necessary part of the body. And let's read a little more into this in what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one of the big chapters in the New Testament concerning our giftings uh, from the Holy Spirit. It says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 11. It says, but one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, starting on the screen. For as the body is one and has many members or body parts, if you will, but all the body parts of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, And have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one body, uh, excuse me, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, 
And there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. That's to you folks here in Prineville. You are the body of Christ and members individually. The word tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We have many body parts. Each one has a specific function. As we just read, not all of those parts are seen. But even those parts that are not seen, whether they're inside of us or covered with clothing, they play a crucial role. Now we're told that all of these parts of the body are connected to the head as Ephesians tells us, and the head is Christ. The head is Christ. He is the protector. He is the provider. Nourishment comes through him. Wisdom comes from him. Discernment and insight comes from him, the head. And if there is disconnect from the head, would you say we have a big problem? We certainly do have a big problem, whether that means that the body is acting apart from the head medically, you know, what are you having there? If your body is acting apart from the head in convulsion, you're having some kind of a seizure. It's not healthy for the body to not be told to stop doing something from the head. What if the head tries to tell the body to do something and it won't do it? Is that healthy? No, we are having some sort of a stroke, some sort of paralysis. And that body is not healthy. That body is not working to the fullness as it's been created. John references a man named Diotrephes. I'm probably not saying it right. Diotrephes. I just wrote it from memory. <laughs> and he wrote of this guy who had a disconnect from the body of Christ. He wanted to dominate things and put himself first, obviously getting away from verse 3 there of Romans 12. Is it healthy for an appendage to be removed uh, from the body? Not unless it's got some kind of cancer, is that right? We don't want to have our arm just like blown off in a battle. We want our arm there so our body can function to the fullness of, of its created capacity. And so when Paul uses an illustration of of a body, it's very practical for us. Very practical. Chad Carpenter, you remember, I think it was almost a year ago when he was talking about home groups and the need for community. He referenced if you were to be shot in the arm or in the shoulder, just without even thinking about it or cognitively telling, your other hand jumps over to help out that other shoulder. You know, uh, it's just a, a natural, you don't have to say, hey, hand. Did you notice what's been happening lately over there on the other part? Why don't you move over there and put your, there, apply more pressure. No, it just, bam, it's there. The head tells it, boom. You know, we've had a lot of guys in the church that have had back problems lately. Their back's just going out on them. And they could probably attest to it better than I could. I've got a little sciatic nerve issue. Not, not too bad. I think I'm pregnant or something like that. I don't know how that works. But... But when your back hurts, all of a sudden, the rest of your muscles in your back and, you know, other things and parts of your leg, they all kick into high gear to help that part of the body function better or to remove pain. And it's a beautiful illustration to us of the church. 
Man, I will tell you that Wednesday night, we heard that Lynette had had a heart attack or something. We didn't really know what was going on. We'd heard that the prognosis was bad. She was probably going to die. And just we came here together as a church and part of the family, having been exhorted by Charles Jefferson last week that, that uh, we're brothers and we're sisters here together. We're starting to kind of call each other that more. Hey, brother, hey, sister, because it's true. God has made us brothers and sisters in the family of God. And when we came here and we knew that Lynette, someone who's normally here with us, sitting there with her granddaughter, Nicaela, and to know that she was being airlifed and probably was going to die and the effect that was going to have on her family and on Nicaela, another part of our body, we wept. I mean, I, I was like a little baby or something. I was just weeping and we prayed together. And one guy shouted out, that's horrible. That's horrible what's going on with her. The rest of the body suffered when that body part Lynette was hurting. And then the rest of the body kicked in to use their resources and their power to get over there to St. Charles and to be there with her. Even though she couldn't even have visitors, people throughout the week were just driving over there to support that part of the body that was in pain. And you guys, if you're disconnected from the body, if you're disconnected from the church, two things are wrong there. Probably more than that, but two that just come to my mind. First of all, you're not able to help the body out. You're not connected to it anymore. And Jesus says you're good for nothing but to be burned. The other thing, the other problem is, if you're disconnected, the rest of the body can't do anything for you. So are you disconnected from the church. This beautiful illustration of the body shows four things. Shows a unity that we're all tied together and joined together. We are one. Uh, there's a plurality that we're made up of many different bits and pieces, different backgrounds, different emotions, different giftings, different resources, different talents. There's plurality. There's diversity. There's functions and div are, are diverse and it's all necessary. Can't all be an eyeball. There's harmony. And when these things are all working together, it's, it's beautiful. It's like some kind of a symphony that's happening when the whole body is working together. One man very wisely put it, we cannot be ourselves when we are by ourselves. And then we, I, when we isolate ourselves, don't, you know, we, oh, I don't need them. I, I'm all by myself. I'm a self-made man. I'm going to finish it on my own. We think that that's really what makes us us. When you're by yourself, you can't be yourself. As Proverbs 16 so wisely puts it, I think it's 16, that he who isolates himself seeks his own glory, seeks his own desire, and rages against all wise judgment. And so if we are removed from the body, not connected to the head, we might cherish all kinds of ideas of who we are, but they're just not true. And while we don't have an official membership here at our church, some of you have been standing back from being members of this church, from being committed individuals of this body, from saying, you know what? I am part of this body. I have been sewn on, you know, I'm an appendage of this body and I am useful. Some of you holding back saying, I'm not wanting that. 
You know what? That's, that's a wrong heart. It's a wrong idea to not be identified fully with a local body. You won't be serving in the capacity that's a biblical service. You won't be inspired. You won't be corrected. You won't be elded and led. You won't be taught. And so, of course, there's times where coming into a church, moving to a new town, trying to find the body that's going to fit, that's understandable. And there's times where you might come into a church and you've been wounded from another fellowship, you've been hurt, and there just needs to be a season of healing. That's understandable. But for the rest of your life to say, you know what, I'm not going to contribute to the part of this body, put me in a sling, and this is just what I'm going to do for the rest of my life as a part of the body. It's not healthy. It's not a healthy part of the body. We don't gather to the church so that we can receive. We gather so that we can give. We gather through our presence, through our songs, through our prayers, through our fellowship, through being here for one another. And it's part of our spiritual worship. Now, in a secular world, where do you belong? What list is your name on? Is it the athletic club? Are you part of the golf club? Are you on a team? You know, are you part of the Seroptimists? Are you, uh, an, you know, uh, an Elks member or something like that? You're part of a community. You're part of a fellowship. And when you're not there, they wonder where you're at. They're wondering why you haven't been contributing. And there's the question of how significant is this place to you? The more significant the place is, the more significant the membership, the more significant the role, the more significant the function. And if we knew theology, we would know that by all means, of all the social clubs that we're involved in, the church, which has also been dubbed the flock, or that's been dubbed the vine and branches, or that's been dubbed the living house of God or the family of God, a lot of different pictures flying around out there. These things representing the church is by far the most important of all social activities, of all social organizations, because it's not an organization. The church is a living organism. The church is an organ organism. It's made up of members where there's life. And so as verse 4 says, we have many members in one body. All the members do not have the same function. Each member has a different activity. Diversities, as 1 Corinthians 12 says, verse 6, there's diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. So I want you to really think about this. I want you to really think about, Lord, how have you fitted me into this body, this local fellowship? If I was, you know, shown today what part of the body I was, what would I be? You know, am I, am I a bicep, you know, I help provide strength to things? Am I the feet, you know, and I'm, I'm out there taking things places and serving the Lord that way? You know, am, am I the mouth? I'm kind of a, a speaker or a teacher, 
my vocal cord, you know, I kind of help lead people in song or something. You know, what are you? And don't let the enemy lie to you and tell you you're not anything. And be corrected today if you've never even stopped to consider what you are. This is vital to the life of the church. Verse 5 says, So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of another. So continuing on with this thought of the body, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Big chapter on spiritual gifts here. Where it says that we're speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So there we get it. Who's the head of the body? It's Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so something we see about this body is that every joint or everything that's part of it is supplying something. And what are you supplying? It's a good, valid question concerning these texts. And, and what share have you been contributing to? In the Greek, this phrase, every, which every part does its share, it's multiple words formed together to simply mean contribute. How are you contributing to this local body? And when you are, and I am, and she is, and he is, and we are, we're all contributing, we're all doing our share, we're all supplying. Then we have this phrase there in verse 16, there will be effective working. Effective working within our church, effective working in making disciples, effective working in having practical ministry needs met. And effective working in reaching the community and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There needs to be the joining together, the being knit together, the brotherly affection, being part of the family of faith. Hebrews 10.25, a very famous verse, you probably know it, where we're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And a lot of people take that to me. Now, don't you go missing church on Sunday. <laughs> You've missed church three times now. What's wrong with you? You know, that's not entirely what it's speaking of. But when there is an assembly, what that really means is the building up of ourselves together, not just the gathering. And I just always think to this, you know, if you were to go out to Costco and buy one of those fancy wooden playgrounds that they've got set up in the middle of the store... You're like, all right, I brought my biggest truck so you can load that thing in the back. They're all, oh no, you don't get that one. You get this box. <laughs> and they load that box up in the back of your truck. And you go home and you see on the box that it says, some assembly required, right? And so what do you do? You dump it out there on the ground. You throw the instructions away. And you're done. No, you're not done. That's not assembling Sure, they're all together. They're all touching each other. They're all there. What is assembling? It's each part doing its share. How important that washer is. How important that beam is. How important that bolt is. How important that chain is for the swing. 
It all serves a great and vital part. And so my encouragement to you, this is the Holy Spirit speaking, is that you don't just gather together, but that you would assemble. That you would have the Lord show you what awesome part you are of this church. And what an awesome part you will be in this church. And what an awesome part that he wants to uh, make you into that's lacking within this church. The assembling together of these parts. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace of God and all that's given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. So we want to ask ourselves, where do these gifts come from? The word gift in the Greek is charisma, and it's where we get our word charisma or charismatic. And it speaks of using the gifts that have been given. Well, we see here in this phrase in verse 6, these gifts are according to grace given to us. They're just gracious, unearned gifts from God. To use the word gift in defining what a gift is. <laughs> gracious, unearned provision from the Lord. As you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this big passage on the gifts of the Spirit, we're told that there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom. And here we have another list of spiritual gifts. And you might see some of your gifts in here. There's the word of wisdom through the Spirit, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. But here's where these gifts come from. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. These gifts are graciously provided by the Holy Spirit as he sees fit. As he's created you to be, he knows what he's gifted you to be, what he's fashioned you to be, and how you'll best edify the church and glorify his name. You're not going to have the same gift as the person next to you. You're not going to have the exact same gift sets, I should say, as the person next to you. We are to regard these gift lists, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. These are selective and not exhaustive. You might know the Lord's shown you, you've got these gifts, and they're not in these, verse, uh, in these scriptures, but they all put God on full display. And so whatever the gift is, it's given for the edification of the body. So we know where they come from. They're given by the Holy Spirit as he wills, as he sees fit. He gives these gifts. But then what's the purpose of them? First of all, we saw it there in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, for the profit of all. For the profit of all. Or in another place, for the edification of the body, for the building up of the body. It's not for 
you to have your cause advanced. The gift is not for, uh, it's not a toy to be played with, but rather it's a power tool to be used to build the body of Christ. It needs to be used with, with humility in verse 3. You don't give a power tool to a child or it'll destroy himself and everything around him. Uh, but you give the power tool to someone who will use it with control and with sanity. So, each believer, as D.A. Carson says, is given some manifestation of the Spirit and at least in the text of 1 Corinthians 12, there's no warrant for saying that one gift manifests his presence more than another, even if some manifestations are more spectacular or useful than others. In other words, just because I'm preaching a lot, and you seem to see that a lot, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is manifested and showing himself more in my life than he is in your life in the gift sets that God's given you or will give you. God gives it as he wills for the edification of the body. It's been said that everyone can't do everything, and we don't expect you to. But everyone must do something. Not to work their way to heaven or anything like that, but just in a response. It's going to be happening in your life. You'll be serving the church in your spiritual gifts. And he begins with prophesying. With prophesying. And, and so here's Romans 12's little selective list here that, that shows how these gifts are used. So who gives the gifts? The Holy Spirit. And actually, in the three different chapters that deal with spiritual gifts uh, as their main point, uh, you have the Father giving gifts. You have the Son giving gifts, and you have the Holy Spirit. So these gifts are really gifts of the Trinity. And so uh, uh, one of these gifts is prophecy. And we're told uh, that if you are prophes prophesying, prophesy in proportion to your faith. Uh, Wayne Grudem defined prophesying as the reporting of something that God brings to mind. Okay? The reporting of something that God brings to mind. Others have defined it as speaking as inspired by God or speaking forth the word of God. We kind of live in, you know, the left behind generation, you know, where the Tim LaHaye books have come out. And we think of prophecy as only being foretelling the future. Uh, but that is not entirely true. And that's not the only way prophecy is used. And real quickly, as we come into this little verse here where we have prophecy listed, there's actually a distinguishing in these gifts between speaking gifts and serving gifts. And we'll see that uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4 as we get there a little bit later. Uh, Ephesians 2.20 says that the foundation of the church is the apostles and prophets, that's how important prophecy is, part of the foundation of the church. And Ephesians also says there that Christ himself would be the chief cornerstone of that foundation. Ephesians 4, 7, and 8 says that uh, when Jesus ascend, resurrected and ascended, if you jump down to verse 11, he gave some to be apostles in their gift set. He gave some to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And this goes into that, what for? For the equipping of the saints, 
for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. And so these prophesying gifts, prophecy gifts, uh, have to do with speaking from God. Speaking from God. Now, we are infallible as prophets today, or if there's a prophet here, I'm sorry, you're not infallible, you are fallible, okay? And so there's a reason that 1 Corinthians chapter 14 tells us that in a worship service, two or three could prophesy, but then the rest are to judge. If someone speaks something, it's good for them not to say, thus saith the Lord, knowing that the Holy Spirit only speaks in King James Version, you know? But it'd be better to say, you know, I'm sensing, as I was just before the Lord this morning, I'm sensing that this is what the Lord's heart is, or this is what he'd like to say to us. And the people will say, man, you know what? That lines up with the scripture. You know, we feel that's from the Lord as well, and we're able to say amen to that. But you run into a lot of dangers in the Mormon church and in the Catholic church and in the Jehovah's Witness and in Christian churches where people say, I'm a prophet, and what I say goes. No, God's given us the discernment of the Holy Spirit as a spiritual gift as well. And the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. And so we, we listen and we test things according to the word of God. In chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, we're also told that when we do prophesy, we're to prophesy in proportion to our faith. And a better translation might be, if you were to use uh, some of the literal wordage there, it would be in proportion to the faith or in agreement to the faith. Prophecy will never contradict the gospel. True prophecy, false prophecy will. (laughs) Then you stone the guy that said it. No, I'm kidding but kind of, you're off the Old Testament. Okay, Uh, you test it, you test it with the word, you test it with the proportion of the faith, of the word of God, of the gospel, and also in proportion to the faith that you have. Don't go beyond what the Holy Spirit is telling you to prophesy. Don't interject your opinion. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20 We're told, do not despise prophecies. We're to test all things and we're to hold fast to what is good. And this is kind of the wrap up here of first, uh, the first section of this withness. Next week we'll come and we'll examine the rest of the spiritual gifts. But as we look at them, we remember who gives the gifts. The Holy Spirit gives them as he wills. What is the purpose of the gift? For the edification of the body of Christ, for the building up of one another in love. But there's another purpose of this gift that we see in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to close, and Nikki, just so you know, on the slides, it's it's towards the end. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. It says, as each one has been given and received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God supplies. Then listen to this. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And so the real purpose of these gifts is we're going to see as we go through this, this set list here is to put God on full display, to glorify God. As we look at the different lists that we'll go through in, in next week, we're going to look at ministry. We're going to look at exhortation. We're going to look at the gift of giving, the gift of leading, and the gift of mercy. And every one of these gifts is to put Jesus Christ on full display. As he is the true and better prophesier, as he is the true and better preacher, the better teacher, as he's the one that shows mercy with cheerfulness, as he's the one that gives with liberality. And every time we would do it in our giftings, we'll display him. And we'll be able to tell the people that we're serving or that we're teaching, we'll be able to point to Jesus and say, the reason that I am doing this is because he did it first and he did it best and he now empowers me to do it well. You might be asking yourselves as we close, well, what's the difference between just having the fruits of the spirit that sometimes come out with some of these things and to having like an actual spiritual gift? Because we're all told to exhort one another. We're all told to serve one another. There's aspects where we're told to teach one another. And so what makes that any different than actually having like a spiritual gift of that? Well, two things, first of all, you will have an extraordinary amount of joy while you're doing it. You know, there's people we'll hear of someone moving into town or moving out or moving to another house, and you might get a group of 10 people there. And one guy's there because I, you know, I love this guy. I'm part of the church. I'm part of the body. Homeboy's got to move. How's the couch going to get in the truck? I'll do it. You know, and he's loading the truck. And then you have the guy that's there and he's just like, oh my gosh, it's moving day. He shows up with donuts and he's got Gatorade for everybody, you know, and he's like, what's next? You know, moving it over and moving it over. And he's going about five times the speed of the guy that just loved Jesus and loves, you know, but man, I, I, I don't know if it's my spiritual gift. But another guy's like, oh, I know it's mine. I just can't wait till I hear someone from the church moving. I've got the gift of helps, you know, and, and it, that's just a tangible way to see. There's just this extra ordinary amount of joy in doing whatever that might be. And secondly, whenever this person is, is using their gift, it is obvious that something supernatural is happening. As 1 Corinthians 12 says, it is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You are able to tangibly sense and grasp that the Spirit of the living God is moving in this situation and he's setting his Son on full display through you using your gift. And so if you don't have any of these gifts or you're not sure what your gift are, get before the Lord and tell him, Lord, I don't know, I've neglected spiritual gifts. I've ignored spiritual gifts. I've been afraid of spiritual gifts. But Lord, would you distribute them to me as you will? Let's go ahead and have the worship team come back up.
closing with a song. And next week we'll get into part two of the withness and ministering to the church through spiritual gifts. All of these gifts that we've discussed, they all have been given to us by grace. And as you look through just the chapter, as you look through the book of Romans, the context of it all is the mercy and the grace of God in saving us, in purifying us, and now his mercy and his grace is used, it is shown in his using us. And so just here today, the Lord is wanting to give gifts to you. And if you've never received the greatest gift of all, the gift that all the other gifts are just pointing towards, the gift of Jesus dying on the cross and shedding his blood so that your sins could be forgiven and forgotten, and that you could be saved and not suffer the wrath of God in judgment, but rather enter into everlasting life in paradise in the presence of God for all eternity. If you've never received that gift, then that's the gift that God would give to you today if you would receive. To those that receive the gift, John 1 tells us, these he is granted to be sons and daughters of God. And as we take communion during this last song, you could come today and take the cup and think about the blood of Jesus that was shed. And you could drink that cup and say, Lord, I receive into me the forgiveness of sin made available for the shedding of blood, from the shedding of your blood. And as you take the cracker, you can eat that and say, Lord, I receive into me the forgiveness of sins that's been made available through the crushing of your body. Thank you for the gift. And then you could make yourself available today, and each person in this room can do so, to just make yourself available for the gifts for the gifts. And maybe there's a gift that you desire. That's good. Earnestly desire gifts. Ask the Lord for it. Ask the Lord for it today. And let's worship him and close him as he's been put on display today. And all of his great godly character and virtue and actions towards us. Let's glorify him and worship. And You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.